1: We're Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened they want to know why and how our friend Michelle Bruton is on the show today to talk about the Green Bay Packers. That is why you signed up for this podcast. That is why you have put us in your earballs. Uh, so we're going to do that. And it is going to be the kind of thing that I think is going to feel very familiar. To a lot of fans, because it is it is not a discussion that I think is going to be traditional in terms of I'm going to ask questions and and she's going to respond. We're just going to chat, and uh, like I said, I think it's going to feel very familiar to a lot of fans. Before we get to that conversation, though. Uh, We will will talk plenty over the course of this week and then certainly after because once this game happens, once Minnesota plays the Green Bay Packers in Minneapolis at US Bank Stadium, that bird-killing glass menagerie, once that happens, we will know almost for sure what is going to happen with the Green Bay Packers because winning has broad implications and losing has broad implications and... Green Bay is still in very good shape to win the NFC North. All they have to do is beat Detroit for that to to come to fruition. So that is not a concern at this point. That does not lower the stakes of what's going on with this team because if you beat Minnesota, you do not have to go to New Orleans ever this postseason. And given the way New Orleans looked on Monday and, and given the way that they've looked at various points in the season, that is a very, very good thing. And this leads us into the discussion I want to open the podcast with. There's been a lot made over the course of the season about Green Bay's identity or more precisely its lack of identity. Who are they? What do they do well? And there's this idea that they're winning ugly and it's unsustainable. When you when you project forward 6 and 1 in close games, Seattle's 10-1, and by the way, in close games, and no one seems to be talking about the unsustainability of what they're doing because they're winning close games because Russell Wilson has been great. And so we we think of that in the same sort of sphere as when Rodgers was winning games. And you go, well, it's Rodgers, and we can trust Rodgers, and we can trust Russell Wilson. When someone new every week is coming through for Green Bay, when Aaron Jones is getting four touchdowns, when Alan Lazard has a big game, when all of a sudden the defense is creating turnovers, when Zadarius Smith does a thing, we don't view that in the same way. And there are reasons for that, but I don't think it is a fair summation of this team specifically for this reason. And I wrote about it for Me Packing Company yesterday. Green Bay's red zone play, offensively and defensively, is the best in football. The best. They are the number one red zone offense in the league in points per red zone trip. Number one. They've been number one or in the top three essentially all season. When they get to scoring time, they score. They were one of one again against Chicago. Aaron Jones, I believe the number is 14 13 of his 14 rushing touchdowns have come in the red zone. Only the one against the Bears last week was it was 21 yards. And that was his only breakoff touchdown run. He's had some breakoff touchdown catches, but of his runs, a lot of them have come. In fact, nearly all of them have come inside the 20 yard line, many of them inside the 10 and inside the five offensively, when they get down into the red zone, they score. So for whatever inconsistencies this team has from 20 to 20, inside the 20, they're the best offense in the league. And by the way, between the 20 and the 40 on offense, they have a top 10 offense and success rate. Between the 40 and the 20 of their opponent, they have a top 10 success rate. In fact, they're eighth in both. The symmetry of it is interesting, but not relevant per se. In the middle of the field is where they're bad from the 40 to the 40 they are 27th in success rate which means they are getting bogged down you make a couple plays and we can we can think of many drives where this is the case a couple plays you get to like the 46 or they get to the the plus 46 and cannot get any further it's too far for a for a long field goal and it's fourth and nine so you don't really want to go for it in that situation that is happening too often for this offense, but when they have opportunities to score, they're scoring. Defensively, they're number 3 in points per red zone trip allowed. The only other team in the top 5 in both is the Vikings. No one else is top 3 in both as Green Bay is. So, situationally, this defense is playing much better in the red zone and and it's not a surprise given the makeup of this team. The field contracts. They're faster than they've been in years. Blake Martinez's lack of speed in the middle of the field is not as big a deal in the red zone because they're not worried about getting beat over the top. There's less space for him to cover. And they can mitigate the the personnel issues in the middle of the field. They can play small and cover all of the passing lanes. They don't have to worry about a 40-yard chunk play In the red zone because there's only 20 yards. The field shrinks. That is the old cliche about the red zone. And Green Bay's playmaking has shined in that circumstance. They're really good. So defensively, when offenses have opportunities to score, they are stopping opportunities from coming to fruition. And offensively, they are doing the opposite. They are taking advantage. The fundamental of the game is score more than the other team. So if you are good when you have opportunities and you are good at stopping teams when they have opportunities, you're probably going to be a good team. For whatever else is true about your football team, if those two things are true, you are going to be good. Situational football is of the utmost importance. I say this all the time. The reason the Patriots are a dynasty is not because of their talent. It's because situationally, They are the best. And just look at just points per red zone trip. Green Bay is first, Baltimore second, Philly third, Houston fourth, Minnesota fifth, Tennessee sixth, Colts seventh, Seattle eighth, Tampa Bay ninth, Buffalo 10th. The only non-playoff team, there's only two non-playoff teams in that mix, Indianapolis and Tampa Bay. And the Tampa Bay offense is crazy talented. Dallas is right after that, and New Orleans is just a little bit further down. Scoring on big plays is not a sustainable recipe. You have to be able to create big plays and, when you have those scoring opportunities, take advantage. It's not quite the same on defense where where teams like Denver are really good and Cincinnati is really good and the Giants are really good. But there's also a bunch of playoff teams in there, too. San Francisco, Green Bay, Minnesota, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Ravens. Buffalo is 12-12. These are the good teams, the teams that I've mentioned multiple times, Minnesota, Green Bay, Baltimore. It's not a surprise that those teams have won a bunch of games. Situational football is how you win games because you can't just play to play, be great every week. The league is too hard. So we wonder about this team's identity. Well, this team's identity is opportunistic. On offense and defense. And that doesn't mean just creating big plays or just creating turnovers. It means when they have scoring opportunities, they score. And when they need to prevent scoring opportunities, they do that. When you think about it that way, it is so fundamental, so elemental to the game to be good in those situations. And Green Bay is. So they don't look like we're used to seeing them look, they don't look like an Aaron Rodgers team. They don't look like a dominant defense normally does, but because they're so good there and they don't turn the ball over, only the Patriots have a better turnover margin this year. Only the Saints have turned the ball over less often than Green Bay. Not giving a team extra possessions, so you're not beating yourself. You're not giving teams extra opportunities, which means you're not, number one, taking away scoring opportunities from yourself, and you're not giving your defense extra opportunities to have to defend. When you put those together... That is a sustainable winning formula so long as the reason for that is sustainable. And for Green Bay, you know, they they got multiple stops against the Bears. The Bears go one for three in the red zone. They also stop the Bears three times on fourth down. Those are de facto turnovers. So from that standpoint, the way they're winning, it may be winning ugly, but when you look at it, There are key things that we can point to and say this is why they're winning and why they're able to win ugly because they're good at this particular thing on offense and defense. That kind of balance is of the utmost importance in the postseason, and their ability to maintain that in January will decide how far they can go in the playoffs. Before we get to Michelle, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped. To show us your top Locked On podcasts for the year, take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Locked On Packers. Plus, you can tag me at Peter underscore Bukowski on Twitter and Instagram, and we will share and retweet. I've already got a couple of them. You guys are awesome for sending them to me. Post them, and I will share them. All right, you know her, you love her. She is Michelle Bruton. You can follow her on Twitter at Michelle Bruton. She's an editor at Triumph Books. You've seen her at the Packers Wire, you've seen her at Ozzy, you've seen her at Bleacher Report. She's been all over the place. Michelle, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. It had been way too long. And so we figured Bears Week was the perfect opportunity to have you back on the show.
0: It is the perfect time.
1: And you're back. This is great. All right. So
0: I'm back.
1: Plenty, plenty to discuss. The Packers eleven and three. And yet, if you if you read Packers Twitter, they might as well be six and whatever the <laughs> math is, six and eight or whatever. Uh, where are you on this team right now in terms of just like top level thoughts?
0: Well, so as a reminder, if if people don't remember from me coming on the show in the past, I do live in Chicago, mm-hmm. and
1: so mm-hmm.
0: you know I think that sometimes, like I, I work with a lot of Bears fans, and I love my coworkers; they're some of my best friends. But they all thought the Bears were going to the Super Bowl this mm-hmm. year, and so watching them reckon with what has happened (laughs) has been um I don't take I don't have a lot of schadenfreude about seeing other people suffer like I just want the team I follow to do well Mm -hmm. but as I have watched them grapple with it they in turn have kind of been like oh well you know look at the Packers and look at all their their flaws and blah 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 and I think I do spend a lot of time at work talking with you know, and I do have a, a good friend who's a Packers fan who 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 works with me too. Shout out to Josh. But Josh is pretty level-headed. I think he keeps me calmer because I'll come in and I'll definitely, you know, every Monday morning I'll want to be like, okay, you know, listen, like the, they've got these flaws and, and I'm just, it's such an ugly win and I'm just not sure if they can do it. And, and it's, it's anxiety-driven, right? Because we, they could win ugly all the way to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And if they win the Super Bowl, you know, you don't go back and look at, you know, the 1997 Super Bowl winner and be like, oh, yeah, that team, you know, that was they had all these you just it, there's no asterisk in history yep. next to a Super Bowl winner. So if they went ugly, I'll go to the Super Bowl where it was all The hand wringing was for nothing. But until we get there, the hand wringing and I can understand a little bit of it. I mean, you know, Twitter is a miserable place and people take it too far. <laughs> but
1: the hand wringing was for nothing is from. what we should just call Twitter
0: yes <laughs> twitter colon the hand wringing was exactly. for nothing but you understand and sympathize i think and I, one of my problems is i have too much empathy anyways but i i empathize with everyone who who is anxious because that's what it is it, it comes from a place of anxiety we're worried that these little mistakes this the offense kind of sputtering sometimes the expensive pass rush not always delivering we worry that these things ultimately are going to cause a playoff loss against the Seahawks or the 49ers or the true cream of the NFL, the Saints. And ultimately, I think that's why there's so much hand-wringing. It's just that, you know, yes, they're winning and, and, and the record looks great. It's a numbers game. But one ugly win in the playoffs, you're gone. You go home.
1: Yeah. And, and it is one of those things, I, I think, too, that, that we often forget. And I'll include myself in that as someone who, you know, it is it is both my job to, to analyze it. But also, you know, there is a, a passion and a love side of this, too. Right. But I, I keep reminding myself that it's like the old saying, what do you call a, a med student who graduates at the bottom of their class, doctor? So it's like
0: <laughs> I'm gonna tell my husband that way <laughs> my doctor husband. He'll get
1: a kick exactly. out of that. I'm sure I'm sure he's heard <laughs> it. But if if the Packers win ugly, it's still a win. And if they win ugly in the playoffs, those are still playoff wins. How mm-hmm. many aesthetically pleasing playoff wins do the Patriots own? Like four. Right. And yet it no one cares. No one cares. Right. So I I'm with you in that way. It's like if they just keep winning. It, you know, but it is important that we have these conversations because past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. I mean, that's why we do this. That's why we go through it. And and I, how much of this do you think is driven by the scar tissue of these playoff defeats combined with the fact that the Aaron Rodgers window is closing? I mean, we just know, fundamentally, objectively, we know that's true.
0: Right. And there, I feel like we're getting very referential into other kind of spheres in this conversation, but it reminds me of, so my husband is a pediatrician, and he was just telling me about um, there's kind of like evidence to show that when people are born, like when people's parents have trauma, it can like pass down mm-hmm. into their mm-hmm. children. And so I think in this situation, it's just sort of like these Packers fans who have struggled through some of these horrible, I don't even bring up the Seattle game anymore because it's like I lose 25 Twitter followers every time (laughs) I do. But these traumas, these playoff exits, you know, the Giants for a few years, the 49ers, the the Seahawks, um, the Vikings even, like coming up against all of these NFC foes and and kind of the disastrous results as they've tried for at least just one more Super Bowl. That's all, just one more for Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think it, you're so right. It is that trauma is sort of like what informs everything. And, you know, if, if this season had just started in a vacuum and this is the first NFL season ever, you know, nothing's ever happened. This is all we have. And An 11-3 and three Packers team that's probably going to clinch their division um, they look pretty great, but I think that we all, it's, it's, we all have too vivid a memory of what happens when this team in just one phase, whether it's special teams or whether it's, you know, an offense that can't get it together or most recently and most, um, most, uh, I guess, emphatically, it's a defense that can't wrap up, can't tackle, can't close out games. Um, so then you see this year like a bend, don't break defense, and it's, it gives you cold chills because you just can imagine exactly how that's going to go against Jimmy Garoppolo or Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, um,
1: you know. It seems like in the playoffs, the last play of the Bears game goes differently uh-huh. for the Packers. Absolutely. That's just how the history shows that's us. Because exactly plays what almost exactly say. like that have happened. Right,
0: and if that was Jimmy Garoppolo, or if that was... Drew Brees, I think it –
1: I just imagine it
0: going a lot differently. And, I, you know, (laughs) later in this podcast, people might be mad because I'm going to defend Mitch Trubisky a little bit. So I'm not even trying to say that that play went awry because of Mitch Trubisky. Um, I think that play actually went awry um, because of uh, Jasper Horstead. Yeah, because he didn't see Mm –
1: number Uh, 49 in in white. Right. No one actually knows who that is. Bears fans just found out who that guy was (laughs) on Sunday.
0: Right, because he didn't see Allen Robinson, and if he had, that play goes a lot differently, but so all of that Mm -hmm. is to say yes, you and I both have seen enough of these fluky plays, and it's just like, you just kind of go in assuming the worst. You just assume that in order to get to the top of the mountain again, these Packers have to be perfect, and they can't make any mistakes, and in that way, all of these kind of little mistakes that don't seem horrible throughout the season, like each one of them takes on so much weight because you know that that could be the difference between yeah. going home in January.
1: I have a theory on this, and and I'm I'm glad you you brought this up because I, I have it's it's a working theory, so maybe it's bad, but we'll talk it out. Let me throw we'll talk it out. out yeah, let, we'll workshop it. <laughs> This team does not win games the way that we are used to seeing the Packers win games. Mm -hmm. We are used to seeing Aaron Rodgers be virtuoso and and have to be in order for Green Bay to win. But Aaron Jones is second in the league in touchdowns. He is a killer in the red zone. The defense creates turnovers. They They can pressure with four. And someone new steps up to help them win a game every week. It's so... It's not antithetical per se, but it is just so different from the way that we are used to seeing good Green Bay teams perform that that dissonance makes it difficult for fans to accept as good. Is that is that a reasonable thing to believe?
0: I think that's extremely reasonable. And I think there's a lot of truth there because, you know, all we could talk about this past offseason was how much how unfair the weight Aaron Rodgers shoulders on Aaron Rodgers shoulders had become and how much this team had to do to kind of build support around him to take some of the pressure off of him hopefully Aaron Jones comes on and gets a ground game going hopefully the defense can kind of keep Aaron Rodgers off the field a little bit let him kind of get you know calm and collected between series give him time make plays on their own get the ball back a little bit give the team some gifts all of these things that we we wanted for Aaron Rodgers and that we wanted to see the front office do, and largely that they have done between Gutekinst and Lafleur, between the personnel that they've gone out and acquired that Ted Thompson never would have, and between some of the schematic changes, everything they've done has served to take some of this weight off of Aaron Rodgers. But yet the result is something that looks foreign and something that we don't quite know that we can trust and that we don't know if it's replicable, you know, it's it's like a, an experiment and we haven't run enough. There's not a big enough sample size to be able to, mm-hmm. to prognosticate out and say, okay, like given how they looked here, 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 this is how we predict they'll look in the playoffs. It's just been so between Washington, between the chargers, there's just been so many bizarre kind of like weird games, um, this year, and it's it's scary. Like, it, at least when Aaron Rodgers is playing hero ball, you knew what needed to happen. You just questioned whether he could go out and do it. Now it's like there are so many moving parts that are all expected to contribute, and in many ways, they can find harmony and they do contribute, um, but it's, it's not replicable.
1: All right, we're gonna get back to Michelle in just a second, but before we do, let's talk about breaking tea. If you're looking for a great, Last minute sports gift that's fun for the holidays. Go to BreakingT.com slash locked on. Breaking tea makes sports t shirts around teams, passion moments. Great for all fans. Go to BreakingT.com slash locked on and search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. All right, back to Michelle. Right. The, the, the theory is sort of hinged on the idea that the fact that you can you can have Aaron Jones go to Dallas and score a billion touchdowns, and Aaron Rodgers does just right. enough that that is a feature, not a bug, of the Packers' offense. That Alan Lazard can go out and have a huge day, a hundred ca- or a hundred yards on what, like three catches and a touchdown, and they don't need him to have ten catches and 180 yards and two touchdowns. And then the next week he doesn't; he's not really a part of the offense. That they can keep winning that right. way is actually good because in the playoffs. What do we see every year? There is a random mm-hmm. dude steps up, and that random dude has killed the Packers right. before. They they are going to need those guys in the playoffs. So I, I don't think it's everything. I mean, I don't think it's – I think there are certainly still things we can criticize about this team and wonder about and say, you know, are they going to give up big plays in in January? Are they going to be able to generate big plays in January those are all questions that that we can ask. Where is Aaron Rodgers in his arc? I mean, he he uses the golf analogy. Is he on the 14th mm-hmm. hole? Is he on the 18th hole? We don't know. We know he hasn't been up to standard this year. When you watch Rodgers this season, what, is, what have been your impressions of how he's played, how he's adjusted to this team, and how he's contributed to wins and losses?
0: The hard thing is that it's become difficult for me at least to separate kind of what I think he's trying to do versus what his receivers are giving him and you know that's a little bit of a cop-out because it's okay to criticize Aaron Rodgers despite what Twitter might Mm -hmm. have you believe like it's okay um and we, especially in this game, like once again, the dropped passes, it just, it, it keeps killing them. Um, you know, there were two, yeah. the Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, had, you know, that would have been like a 50 yard and then like a 70, 70 yard, touchdown, yard touchdown, right. And he would have caught it like yeah. 50 yards out. Um, and General Allison, uh, dropped that crossing route. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, though, when I look at some of those plays, and I, I watched the game yesterday with a friend of mine who's also uh, a Packers fan, and we kind of looked at each other, and we were both, like, he overthrew that. And it almost felt like we were, like, afraid to say it. Like, we were, like, is it? Is this okay? Like, are we allowed to say it? Yeah? Okay. And it's just, like, suggesting that Aaron Rodgers could overthrow a receiver. Um how dare you it's always the receiver's fault they don't have the chemistry or he doesn't trust them or or they're running the wrong routes and for a long for a long time and you know a good amount of the time that is the case but i think yesterday his his touch has been off this year noticeably to me Mm -hmm. um yeah he's not working with you know the best talent the nfl has to offer um i you know even like a like a Jamison Crowder I would love to see with an Aaron Rodgers or, or just, you know, we'll never quite know. But taking what we do have and, and the Packers, you know, yeah, they don't have huge names um, after Adams, but they've got some talent. And yeah, there's dropped passes, but I think quite a few of those are because of his touch. And so I'm not sure if it's just still him settling into the new offense and and kind of, you know, they're they're not doing – Um, as much no huddle this year. And so he really is kind of like, I don't know if it's, it's interrupting his kind of natural flow or the rhythm that he likes to be in. There's a lot of huddling. There's a lot of, you know, communication that there didn't used to be. I think mostly that's a good thing, but there is something off with his touch. And I haven't quite been able to put my finger on what is going on with him. Theoretically, as far as we know, this is like the first time in years that he's healthy. So, it's not that. Yeah.
1: Um, he said something interesting after the game, and that was that after he and, and a lot of the guys have been in the same offense for so long that a new offense was going to require reps and that in the off season, it was just too difficult to get those right. reps that these that that he, he basically admitted that they are trying to make this all work on the fly. And I, it, it was not meant as an excuse, but I think it was his way of saying to everyone, look, this is going to take a little bit of time to, to for everyone to get on the same page, for everyone to be in rhythm. I mean, there's the the play where he gets sacked on on third down, out of field goal range, and he expected Devontae Adams to break out. Devontae Adams breaks in. By the time he has the the opportunity to come off to Geronimo Allison, it's right. a sack. Those kinds of things probably would not have happened in the old offense because you've, you've repped that play a million times with, with Devonte Adams when he, when he throws decisively he's accurate. And when he looks a little skittish, when he, when he clutches, when he, you know, when he, when he is not playing decisively, that's when his accuracy wanes. And I just, I wonder how much of that is the offense and how much of that is his arm strength, you know, diminished. I mean, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. factors, I feel like in order to properly assess this season, I need to see him next season, and maybe with a, you know an extra receiver or two. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. You're right. I think it's difficult to to parse uh, what we what we have in the Aaron Rodgers uh, criticism complex <laughs> that exists in the world, and then the fans saying no, we can't say anything bad about him, and then the 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 attack that sort of you know falls from that it's it's tough I don't I don't know where we where we can find some common ground on right. that but it's it's something to watch right. for sure
0: and just you know yeah, as we
1: wasn't well, and,
0: and I think we this is like our disclaimer portion but we have to acknowledge for anyone who might be getting like hot under the collar like yes criticizing Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is like sitting down for oysters and champagne and being like well these are west coast oysters and I really prefer east coast right. oysters like yes we uh-huh. understand that like criticizing Aaron Rod you know it's it's spoiled but at the same time I think that this year was kind of touted as is oh it's gonna be so much easier for him and, and I think we're just wondering well it doesn't necessarily look that easy for him it looks like he's struggling a lot of the time and again like basically in the NFL the preseason is a joke the first four weeks yep. of the regular season are the preseason. Like, those are the exhibition games. And so you really don't even mm-hmm. know what you're looking at. Bill Belichick has always famously said that, you know, you you don't know how a team's going to be until at least week four. And so um, we've had enough of the sample size now, and, and it's still messy. But, you know, I think a lot of it just goes back to Matt LaFleur and, and kind of this whole Kyle Shanahan-derived scheme and, and the way – that these plays are designed, you know, the, the purpose is that they all start off kind of looking the same and they're all supposed to look pretty simple on the surface and then they can morph. And that's supposed to be what confuses the defense that they morph into a run play or a pass play. And then Rogers does still have a lot of freedom to to audible. Um, but I think that the thing that's really interesting to me is that I'm starting to question some of his decision-making too, like the deciding not to take the Hail Mary, um you know spiking the ball to get the timeout with 10 seconds left so it took nine nine second runoff so then they had one second to get a playoff and he decided not to make the Hail Mary and he was like, oh like maybe I should have audibled into it. I mean, yeah, I think you should have like it just, you know, it ended. Um so some of his decisions too just sort of leave me scratching my head. Um and I don't know if that's because he's being more deferential to LaFleur, whereas with McCarthy I think by the end, it was pretty obvious that Rodgers was just like, step back. I'm going to run this show.
1: We don't, and this is why I think we need year two and mm-hmm. year three because we need to see if it gets better. Are they going to build on some of this stuff? Is it going to look more like a Matt LaFleur offense next year or is it going to continue to be this hybrid where they incorporate some of the older concepts? We right. don't know that. What is it going to look like in January? Are they going to fall back on a lot of these? You know McCarthy West Coast concepts and not the Lafleur ones. I, I would I would prefer it. I think it would be prudent for them to play more the way that Matt Lafleur would like to play, but they get away from it. So I I, I feel like we're, we are no further in understanding or explaining this to anyone, and and that I think is fitting given the season of right. where we are. And we, and hopefully people just enjoyed the conversation, <laughs> just like they're enjoying just like they're enjoying the season because that is. It is a little head scratching. It's sort of like, you know, don't stand too close to the painting or it's just going to look like blotches on a a piece of paper, stand back and enjoy it. So that's, that's going to be the theme of this podcast is clearly metaphor and simile, which is fine. (laughs) Uh, but, but I, that's, I, I hope fans are able to appreciate what's going on here because Rogers keeps calling it special. I do think it's special. Uh, Michelle, you are not doing as much writing about the Packers anymore, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean that you do not have Packers adjacent work that you can promote.
0: I can, I can, I sure can. Um, yeah, life has been very busy. I'm very busy at my full-time job. Um, I'm still, you know, trying to write a feature or two for the Packers wire here and there. Um, but really fun for me at work. So I'm, uh, a, book editor at chimes books here in chicago and this season um in honor of the packers hundredth, we did this really beautiful um coffee table photo driven book called 100 years in title town with a forward by your boy brett Favre. uh shout which out. really fun to to read through um but, yeah, so you know, if anyone's still looking for a, a holiday gift, the Packers fan and their lives, it's available on Amazon. It's gorgeous, it's heavy. It's got this beautiful matte cover with Bart Star. um, and it has photos from the Beaver collection. Um, a lot of which haven't really made it into print or are very rare, kind of all through the Packers history. So, you know, it's always fun for me. I mean, I work in sports, so I'm always working on some sports books, but, you know, not always getting to work on a Packers book. And um, the seasons that I do get to work on Packers books are sort of the most fun for me. It's just like another way to interact with the team, even if I'm not getting to write as much. So anyways, if anyone's looking for that, 100 Years in Titletown. um, It's a really beautiful book, and I'm really proud of it
1: the book will get the pictures in the book will will straight up give you chills. Yeah. I'm telling you like they will make you feel things. They will make you remember where you were when because there's some really and make you wish you were places when because there's obviously some some old photos in there, too. So yeah. it, it really is a, a beautiful book. I have it. I would recommend it to the Packer fan in your life. Absolutely. For sure. Michelle, thanks for coming back on Lockdown Packers. And let's Let's try and sh- cut the window down next time. It was it was it was too long and that's my fault and I apologize. So we'll 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 do it again soon hopefully. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, I want to thank Michelle for joining the show. Always great to talk to her. We were choking off air after the after the conversation that it wasn't it wasn't really an interview. It was more just sort of catharsis. It was more therapy. <laughs> and because she doesn't get to write as much anymore, you know, a lot of thoughts. So Glad we got a chance to do that. Uh, It is a blast to talk to her, and and hopefully, again, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, We're going to be back tomorrow, crossover Wednesday, and then again working on an interview for Thursday. So hopefully we can get all that together and get set for Vikings week because the Monday show means the Friday show for us. There's not going to be an injury report, which means it's going to be an all-questions show, a mailbag, if you will. And I will. So be sure to send those to me. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can send us your questions there as well. You could leave a question in your iTunes review, which if you haven't left one, you should probably do that. That would be awesome, along with five stars. Uh, You you can also hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline. Would love it if you did that. I have some great questions that I am excited to share on Friday already. So keep those coming. You can hit us up there, text, call 920-341-3775 to stay locked on Packers.